Welcome to the LifeGate Podcast. Our vision is changing lives in a changing culture with the unchanging truth. Our prayer is that these weekly messages will inspire you to life change through the principles found in God's Word. For more information, visit us online at LifeGateBurleson.com. I tell you what, I'm so excited about what God is doing in our church. How many are excited about that? I, man, God is doing great things and we are moving forward. In fact, that is our word for this year. The word is move. Everybody say move, move. And really it is a journey that God is taking us on and has been taking us on really all of this year. Like today we're wrapping up this little two-part series called Me to We, but really this is just kind of part of the journey that just kind of continues on as God is moving us forward in what he has for us. We've learned how to move out of our past. We've learned how to move into our calling. We've learned how to move on to a team. And now we are learning what it means to move from me to we. And really that's what it's all about. In fact, that's kind of at the heart of who God is. Is And I want to start out today by just kind of giving like a little theology lesson, if you would, for just a minute and kind of learn a little bit about the character and about the nature of who God is. And let's just kick off with the creation story in Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter one and verse 26. Why don't you go ahead and turn your Bibles there and we're going to just jump right into it. We, we all know probably the creation story and look what, look what God says in Genesis 1, 26. He says, then God said, let us, everybody say, let us. Let us create men in our image. Now, this is really interesting right here. This kind of gives us a little theology of God and who he is. Like he, he noticed, he says, kind of some interesting language there. He says, let us create man in our image. Now, if I was saying that, I'd probably say something like this. Let me create man in my image, right? But that's not what he says. He says, let us create God or create man in our image image and from those words us and our we really get a picture of who God is that that as we've been talking about me to we here's what we have to understand is that God himself is a we God is not a me He's a we. I mean, here's the theology behind it is that we know that there is Father and there is Son and there is Holy Spirit. So when he was saying, let us create man in our image, what is he saying? He's saying Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three distinct parts of God that are all by themselves and yet they come together to form a we. And I believe even in the creation story, even in the picture of who God is, we get, we get kind of a picture of what God has called us to be as well. That we're not called to live this life on our own, but we're called to be part of his family, part of his body. That we are called to be part of the we. Everybody say part of the we. Part of the we. That we're actually more like God when we are connected to one another in these kinds of relationships. And we learned last week that the potential is found in the we, that there is a greater potential when we come together, that two are greater than one because they have 
a good return for their work. That even from the very beginning when God created Adam and he put inside of him something, some potential that could never be released on his own. And so he had to create a helpmate and they came together. And the Bible says that God told them to be fruitful and multiply. And it was in their coming together, moving from me to we, that the potential was released and that the earth was filled. It's the same way for every single one of us. There is a potential inside of you and a potential inside of me that can never be realized on our own. It only happens when we come together. And that's what this series is really all about. There's a power, there's a a potential in the we, and yet the other side of that is this. We also have an enemy, and the enemy knows that very fact that the greatest potential we have is when we come together to work together. So how many know that our enemy will do everything that he can to keep us from being a we? In fact, that's the title of today's message. There is a war against the we. And isn't that true? I mean, that the enemy knows that there's power when we come together for a purpose that's greater than ourselves. And so what does he want to do? He wants to divide us. He wants to break us apart. He wants to cause us to quarrel and to, and to have conflict and to have struggles. He wants to put every roadblock that he can in our ways to keep us from coming together as a family, as the body of Christ. In fact, Jesus even said this. He knew, knew this issue. And so he said, hey, a house divided against itself cannot stand and the enemy wants to do everything that he can to try to divide us and here's what I know like when you get people together like how many know what I'm talking about when you get people together especially the more people you get together the more difficult it is to get everybody to agree come on how many know what I'm saying like if you don't believe me just watch what happens after service today when you're with your family trying to decide where you're going to go eat come on you know what I'm saying (laughs) Like the more people you get together, and it's especially, especially in our families. How many of you have, uh, maybe you grew up with a, big, with a big family. Raise your hand. Big family. Some of you, some of you. How many of you grew up, you at least had brothers or sisters or whatever. You know exactly what I'm talking about here, right? Because it's like when you get family together, like there's all these things that try to pull us apart. I have, I have, two, I have three kids. I have two, two teenage daughters, and then I have a three-year-old son. And, you know, surprise, you know what I'm saying? And... <laughs> And so, like, I love it. Well, nothing makes my heart more happy than when we're all together agreeing with one another, everyone working together, living together in harmony. How many parents know what I'm saying? It's quiet, it's peaceful, it's wonderful. And most of the time, it's that way until we get them in the back seat of the car going on a long trip. Come on, come on, parents, parents, you know what I'm saying? And it's like my two wonderful, beautiful, sweet, lovely, angelic daughters. But when you, come on, I know y'all think that. I think that, come on. But when you put them back seat in the back seat of the car on a long trip together, I mean, I mean, it's sometimes it's like, oh, World War III just breaks out in the back seat. And I'm like saying things I never thought. I would say things that my parents said, like, don't make me pull this car over. Come on, you know, parents, what I'm talking about. Like, don't make me come back there. Sometimes it's like I'm not even going to pull the car over. It's just like I'm driving and one hand's back here like this. You know what I'm saying? Right? And this is the nature of family. It's the nature of teams. It's the nature 
of we. It's the nature of church as well, right? Come on. The enemy wants to do whatever he can to try to divide us. It happens in marriages. It happens in office buildings. It happens, man, especially happens in church that all these people come together. It's a miracle we don't kill each other, right? We all come together and we all have different backgrounds and thoughts and opinions and stuff on life and whatever. And we're supposed to love one another. And yet, you know, sometimes we come in and like sometimes it's not so loving and people are getting voted off the island and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, and why does this happen? Like, Why does it happen in marriages? Why does it happen in churches? Why does it happen in families? Because God knows and so does our enemy that the greatest potential that we have is found in the we, in coming together. When we connect with one another for a purpose that's greater than ourselves, it's nothing is impossible when that happens. And so the enemy wants to do everything that he can to try to pull us apart. And there are some different tactics that he uses to try to, to try to do that, to keep us from unity and harmony. And what I want to do today is just give you four things, four things that you may see in your own life. I see them in my own life at times that keep us the war, that war against the we. If you're taking notes, you can write these four things down. By the way, I just told my wife a second ago that note takers are history makers. So you ought to take a notes. Come on, right? Number one, write this down. Pride. Everybody say pride. What is it that wages war against relationships, against connection, against teamwork? I'll tell you, one of the biggest weapons that the enemy will use is he puts pride in our hearts. And here's what pride says. Like, if you don't understand what pride is, here's what pride basically says. Pride basically says, I'm better than you. Or I know better than you. Now, we wouldn't say this out loud. We may not even formulate it in our mind that that's what we are doing or saying. We might not even use those words. But when it comes down to it, when we have pride in our heart, here's what we are saying. I'm better than you or I know better than you. And we do it. I mean, we we do it all the time. I see it all the time. I mean, I see it in current events when something happens and everybody's got an opinion. And of course, my opinion is the only opinion and I know better. I'm better. Nobody else can know the right. Only my way is the right way. Come on. You've seen that? You see it on social media when politics and things that are happening in our world today. And it's like, man, nobody knows. I know all the answers and your answer is not right. And let me comment on it and let me say it. Come on, right? It happens in marriages. Like, why can't they just do it my way? My way is the only way. Why can't my husband just put the toilet seat down or whatever it is, you know, right? And my way is the only way it happens in work. Why is the boss not doing it my way? Or it happens in church when that pastor, you know, if I was a pastor, I'd do it a different way and things would go better. And all through our lives, we get this attitude sometimes that says, I'm better than you or I know better than you. And you know what that really is at its heart? It's pride. And what does pride do? Well, what does the Bible say about pride? In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10, it says pride leads to what? Everybody say it. Pride leads to arguments. Like, here's the deal. When I get this attitude that I know better than you and my way is the best way and I'm better than you, where is that going to lead? Of course, it's always going to lead to arguments, stress, struggles, 
strife that's going to come. Why do you think we have these arguments in our marriages or at, in our family or in church or at work or whatever? It all comes down to this attitude of pride that says, I am better or I know better or my way is better. And in order for the me to become a we, here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to drop our pride. And we're going to have to realize that, hey, maybe somebody might actually know better than me. Maybe somebody else's opinion might be just as valuable as my opinion. I'm going to lay down my pride for others. In fact, this is what Paul says about it in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility do what? Value others above yourself. See, there's a war Against the we, the enemy knows our potential is found in our togetherness. And so what does he do? He puts, first of all, pride in our hearts to divide us. Second thing that he does is really kind of pride's evil twin sister, and it's called selfishness. Everybody say selfishness. See, here's the deal. Pride goes like this. Pride says, I know better than you, or I'm better than you. Here's what selfishness says. Selfishness says, I'm more important than you. Here's what selfishness says. It says, what I want and what I need is more important than what you want and what you need. And this is what happens. And it happens in marriages. It happens in families. It happens in churches. It happens in work situations. Anywhere where there are relationships that come together. When we have selfishness in our heart, here's what we do. We say, well, you know what? This is what I want. And what I want is more important than what you want. And what is that going to lead to? It's going to lead to conflict. It's going gonna, it's gonna to drive us apart. In fact, this is what James says about it. Look at this in James chapter 4 and verse 1. I love the way it reads in the message version of the Bible. It says, where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels are coming from? Do you think they just happen? In other words, hey, look around at the world. How many would say people can't get along in our world today? And why is it? What does he say? Where do you think all this stuff is coming from? Do you think that it it just happens? No, no, no. Think again. They come because why? Because you want your own way. Selfishness. And you are willing to fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and you will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know that you'd be asking for something that you have no right to. And then look what he says. I love this. You're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. Mic drop. Like James nails it. He goes, here's the reason we don't get along. Because we're selfish. We want our own way. I want it a certain way, and my needs are more important than your needs. And as long as there's selfishness in our hearts, guess what? There's going to be conflict in our relationships. We're not going to be able to be a a we because we're focused so much on me. And here's what he says, man. If you want to come together, you got to let go. You got to drop your pride and let go of your selfishness. Number three, here's another one that causes us to be divided or pulls us apart from the we, and that is anger. Everybody say anger. How many know we live in a very angry world? Isn't it true? I mean, just look around. You'll see it. Like, people are angry everywhere. Just, just scroll through your social media. You'll see it. Just drive down the road. You will, some of you, it's you that's angry. when you Come on. Right? There's anger everywhere in this world. And why? Why is it? I mean, think about this. We live in the greatest nation in the world. We have more than, than the largest percentage of people in this world. And yet, we're all mad. Angry. 
Why? Why is it? I think, I think one of the reasons is because anger is, is a secondary emotion. When we have anger, here's what happens. Is there's always something underneath the surface. Like we may say, well, that's what made me mad. But most of the time, there's something else kind of going on. In fact, we talked about it a few weeks ago. And we talked about a lot of anger. Here's where it comes from. It comes from unmet expectations. We have certain expectations about the way that life should go. Like, man, I thought, you know, my job would be this way. I thought my marriage would be this way. Or I thought my friends would be this way. Or I thought my life would be this way. And then when it doesn't turn out the way we thought it would be and our expectations are not met, there's this gap there that fills up with frustration and with disappointment and with hurt. And then what does it happen? It kind of boils out in anger. And then where is that anger? Many times steered, it's steered towards others. In fact, this is what the Bible says in Proverbs, that when we have anger in our heart, look what it says in Proverbs 29 and verse 22. An angry person does what? Starts fights. A hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sins. What is he saying, man? When we have something boiling underneath us, it's going to cause stress and conflict in our relationships. In fact, I've I've learned this over the years. I've, I've been a lead pastor now. Uh, 22 years. I know I don't look old enough to be a lead pastor. 22 years. Uh, y'all shouldn't have laughed there. You made me feel. <laughs> and here's what I've learned over these 22 years is that the issue's never really the issue. Whenever someone's, you know, in a bad mood or whenever someone's criticizing or someone's complaining or someone's just being difficult to get along with, you know what I've learned? Almost every single time, there's something else going on underneath. There's a frustration. There's an anger. There's something going on at home. There's something going on at work. There's a stress in their finances or whatever. And what I've learned is I can't, I can't take it personally because, you know what? The issue is not ever really the issue. And when we don't deal with the issue, here's what happens. It comes out in our relationships, and it, and it drives us apart. It keeps us from being, being the we that God has created us to be. And so here's what we have to do. We've got to deal with the issue. In fact, I like I saw this on somebody's Facebook a couple of a few days ago, and I just wrote it down and put it in in the notes today. He, this is what they said: They said your hurt may not be your fault, but your healing from that hurt is your responsibility. Wow. Think about that. See, sometimes we're mad at everybody else, mad at the world because of the hurt. And we go, it wasn't my fault that I was hurt that way. And probably it wasn't your fault that you were hurt. But guess what? It's your responsibility to let God deal with and heal that hurt so that we can come together in relationships in his body and his family the way he created us. See, our potential is found in the we. The enemy wants to divide us from the we to keep us from our potential. And here's what he does. He puts pride in our heart. He puts selfishness in our lives. He causes us to have anger that brings about quarreling and fights and struggles and strains and stress. And then notice number four. Write this one down many times. What's warring against the we? Here's what the enemy uses. He uses a wrong focus. Like, how many of there are just some people that just, I mean, they just need to pick everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, some of you know people like that. Like, love to major in the minors, right? And, and you know what? We do this in church a lot, too. I focus on stuff that really doesn't matter. Like, you know, we, I've, I've seen churches have big old, you know, church split fights over what color the carpet's going to be, Right? 
Like, hey, come on, you've seen that before. I've seen it, like, fighting over. What kind of music are we going to have? Are we going to have old, old style, traditional? Or are we going to have contemporary? Are we going to sing out of the books? Are we going to sing out of, you know, up on the wall? Are we going to, you know, does the pastor dress in a suit or does he dress casually? I mean, all different kinds of stuff that church people love to come together and not come together. Like, you know, like separate and fight over stuff that doesn't really matter. Focus on the wrong stuff. In fact, this is not a new problem. This is something that's been happening even since the Bible days. I mean, apparently it was happening in this church in Crete because Paul wrote to the pastor of the church, a guy named Titus, in Titus chapter 3 and verse 9. Look what he says. He says, but I want you to stay away from those who have foolish arguments and talk about useless family histories and argue and quarrel about the law. For those things are what? Everybody say that. Are worth nothing and will not help anyone. What does he say? Man, so many times we're fighting over stuff that ain't worth nothing. And it ain't going to help nobody. And it doesn't really matter in the end. And apparently it didn't just happen in Crete and in the, in the church that Titus pastored, but apparently it happened in the church that Timothy pastored too because look what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 23. He says, do, don't have anything to do with the foolish and stupid arguments because they just produce quarrels and the Lord's servants should not quarrel, but instead they should be kind to everyone. What Paul says, hey, Hey, we may not agree on everything, but just because we don't agree on everything doesn't mean we have to argue about everything. And even when we don't agree about some things, we can still treat others with kindness. In other words, basically he's saying, guys, that stuff, and I love the bluntness. He says, foolish and stupid arguments. Like stuff that don't matter. Because in the end, here's what really matters. God's purposes. What really matters is not what time the service starts or what color the carpet is or what we wear or how we sing. What really matters is that there are people in a world that are lost and hurting and need relationship with Jesus. And God has tasked us with this purpose and task, the vision of changing lives in a changing culture with the unchanging truth. And really, when you get down to it, that's what really matters. And man, when we get focused on stuff that doesn't matter, man, it pulls us apart. And look what Paul says that we ought to do in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. He says, so I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus, to live in harmony with each other. And let there be no divisions in the church, but rather be of one mind, united in thought and what? And purpose. What does he say? He said, hey, guys, like you, got, you got a purpose to live out. You don't have time for silly stuff that really doesn't matter. You got to come together because that's where the potential is. And some of you say, we haven't, you know, we got division in the church. No, I'm not saying we got division in the church. I'm saying the reason we don't have division in the church is because we've decided we're going to have one purpose. And we're going to go towards that one purpose that God has for us. And we're going to lay down our pride and we're going to lay down our selfishness and we're going to lay down some of the old hurts and stuff that kind of bubble up. At times we're going to let God heal those things and we're going to get our minds focused on the task because there's something that happens when me becomes we. When we come together for a purpose, there is a potential that is far greater than ourselves. So let's just talk about it for just a minute. What does it look like? When we come together, there's, there's a power in unity. In fact, that's number one. Write this down. There is power in unity. And when people come together, 
like when we decide there's a purpose we're going to live for and we're going to do it together, like it's unbelievable. We could be unstoppable what God could do when we come together. In fact, I like this little cartoon, this Peanuts cartoon. I've shared with you before, but I, I love it, so I'll share it again. Lucy demanded that Linus change the channel on the TV, and she threatened him with her fist if he didn't do it. And so Linus said, well, what makes you think that you can come in here and just start calling all the shots and taking over? And, and L- Lucy looked at Linus and said, well, it's these five fingers. Individually, they are nothing, but when I curl them together like this, they form a single unit, and they are a weapon that is terrible to behold. Linus says, okay, what channel do you want? And he turns away and he looks at his fingers and says, why can't you guys ever get together like that? There's power when we get together, like individually. Like we can't do all that much. But two are better than one as we learned last week because there is a good return for their work. And when we come together in unity, there's, there's a power that can't be stopped. In fact, it reminds me of the story. This kind of, it's kind of a strange story in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. These people that came together with one purpose. That one purpose was really a prideful and selfish purpose, one that did not please God at all. They decided they were going to build a tower all the way to the heavens just to show how great that they were. And God was not pleased with what they were doing. But he says something very powerful and very important about the way that they were doing it. Check out what it says in Genesis chapter 11 and verse number 6. And the Lord says, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then look what it says. Nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Look at this. Look what he says. He says, hey, they may not even be doing something that's even a good purpose, but they have unity behind what they're doing. And they're all speaking the same language, all going in the same direction, all serving the same purpose. And when they come together like that, there's nothing that can stop them. Nothing they plan to do will be, will be impossible for them. In fact, if you know the story, he scrambled their language so that they wouldn't be in unity and could not accomplish the task. And I'm telling you, the same is available for us. We have a better task than building a tower to heaven. We have a purpose to reach people for eternity, to get people who would not be in heaven, to take them, to let them be in heaven when they die. I mean, we've got a purpose to live for. What could happen if we came together under that purpose? Nothing could stop us. Man, nothing could hold us back from reaching our city for God. The enemy knows, man, if, if he can divide us, there's, there's a power in unity. There's a potential in unity. In fact, the scripture says it like this in Psalm 133 in verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together. Where? In unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, and running down onto Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessings. Even life evermore. Man, when we come together, it's like, it's like there's oil that is poured on the old squeaky wheel that just, I mean, it just, you just grind and you just, it's like a car that's out of alignment. Like you just keep pulling, you keep pulling. But when everyone comes together going in the same direction, it's like, it's like oil that makes everything flow more smoothly. And there, then the Lord says, I bestow, I command, I bring my blessings. Unity's powerful, guys. That's why we got to come together. That's why we're doing this whole me to we thing because Man, as we move into this next season of our church, like we all got to be moving in the same direction. And that's why, number two, write this down. Unity must be protected. Because unity doesn't just happen on its own. 
We coming together as a we doesn't just happen on its own. It's something that, man, we got to protect it. Because the enemy's going to do everything he can to try to come against it. And so guess what, guys? It's our responsibility to say, hey, this is our house. This is our church. This is my family. This is my people. Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect it. And it starts with me. In fact, look what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What does he say? He says, hey, this is your job. Start with you. Make every effort. And look at yourself. Is there any pride in my heart? Is there any selfishness, like I'm trying to get my own way? Is there any hurt that maybe is boiling up and causing division? Is there there any areas where maybe I've just gotten off track and I've gotten off focus on what really matters? I'm going to deal with me. And guess what? If everybody made the effort, come on, we would work together. It would be the same way in your marriage. If you just started looking in your marriage and saying, is there any pride in me? Is there any selfishness in me? Is there anything I'm focusing on things that don't matter or maybe I'm dealing with hurt? That, that keep coming out and in every relationship of our life if we'd say hey unity is powerful coming together makes a difference and so we're going to protect it unity is powerful unity must be protected but then notice number three here's how unity happens it happens when we all focus on God's purposes this is as simple as that Like, guess what? If we're all following Jesus, if everybody has your eyes on Jesus and you're following wherever he wants us to go, guess what's going to happen? We're all going to be going in the same direction. Bible says it. It's right there in your notes. He is the head of the body. And you know what our job is to do? It's just get our eyes on him and go where he tells us to go. Do what he tells us to do. Focus on him. And guess what? If we're all focused on him, then guess what's going to happen? We're all going to be going in the same direction. But here's the problem. Sometimes even as followers of Christ, we get our eyes off of Jesus. And we get our eyes on our own needs. We get our eyes on our own wants. We get our eyes on things that really, you know, that distract us. And we kind of start moving in this direction away from God's focus. And, and what happens is I'm moving this way and then you're moving this way. And we're and it's a, it's a drag. It's like that car that's not in alignment. It's difficult and there's drag and we don't move smoothly forward. But if everybody could just get our eyes on Jesus and focus on him, then we'd all go in the same direction. You know what that requires? I got to lay down my pride. I got to give up my selfish wants and desires. I got to I got to let go of my hurts. And I got to focus on what really matters. And isn't that what teamwork really is all about anyway? It reminds me of this movie. I've seen it several times. Some of you probably have seen it as well. It's been out for for many years. It's a movie called Miracle. Anybody ever seen that movie before Miracle? It's 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 about the 1980 US Olympic hockey team and what happened in the, in the movie really was a miracle because of the things that these guys were against. I mean, the Soviet Union, their hockey team was, was known as the best, maybe one of the best teams ever in sports. I know we, you know, we call, uh, you know, Tom Brady the GOAT and, the, you know, all the, all the Patriots stuff and all that, and they are one of the greatest. But the, the, the Soviet Union hockey team was possibly the greatest team ever. They had won six gold medals in a row at the Olympics. Now, you think about that. That's, you think that's just six years. No, no, no. The Olympics every four years. That means 24 years in a row of dominance by this one team. And these guys had been together since they were just, just young kids, and they had been on this team, and, and they were professionals, not, not amateurs, and they come together. This is, is incredible. And 
The United States team was just a bunch of ragtag guys. I mean, a bunch of college kids. I think the oldest one was like 22 years old. They had never played together as a team. They'd only been together when they got to the Olympics as a team for like six months. I mean, and here they are going against one of the greatest teams ever. And, man, it was a struggle because you had college kids from, from different colleges coming together. Some of those colleges were, were arch rivals against one another. They hated one another, and now they're coming together to try to be on the same team. And it was a struggle, man. There was a lot of pride. There was a lot of selfishness. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of wrong focus on things until finally Kurt, Coach Herb Brooks got fed up with it. And one night after they had lost another game because they couldn't play together as a team, before they even went to the locker room, took a shower, he, right in front of all the fans, brought them out onto the ice and told them to begin to skate suicides back and forth. And, man, they're skating, and they're getting worn out and tired, and he'd just say, again, 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 until, I mean, drenched with sweat. They, I mean, even, even, some of the, even some of the other assistant coaches were going, Coach, you, you're going too far here. And he'd just say, again, 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 until finally something broke. One of the young men on the team stepped forward before they started to skate again, and he says, my name is Michael Rizzioni. And coach says, who do you play for? And he stepped up and says, I play for the United States of America. And in that moment, like something changed, something broke. No longer am I, I play for Boston College or I play for Massachusetts or I no, I play for the United States of America. And coach looked at him and said some powerful words. He says, that's right. And the name on the front of your shirt is far more important than the name on the back. If you, if you know about sports, you know they put the individual's name on the back, but they put the team name on the front. And in that moment, something happened, and, man, they went on. It was a miracle. They won the, US, won the gold medal in the Olympics. And, you know, I think there's something powerful about that in each one of us. You know, I stand here today, and I got one of these new LifeGate T-shirts on, and I know y'all are all jealous. You want one, right? You do. <laughs> And here's the good news. I'll give you one for free. I'm going to give you a chance to do that in just a moment. But, but there's a name on the front. We are LifeGate. We did it this way on purpose. We are, we're together. We're a team. We've got a vision that we are accomplishing together. And if you will notice, there ain't no name on the back. We did it like that on purpose. Because the name on the front is more important than the name on the back. And it's not just... We are LifeGate. You know what? We are the body of Christ. That's the name that we wear. And when we wear that name, it's no longer about this name. It's only about this name, that we come together as the body of Christ. We are a team. Today, I'm going to give you a chance to say, hey, I want to be a part of that team. I want to play. I want to play my part. But there are some of you that are here that you have not yet joined the team God's team, his family. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes all all over this room today. And if that's you and you're here, and you say, you know, Pastor, I know I'm not where I should be with God. Like, I'm not on the team. I've been making about myself. I've been prideful, selfish. Maybe it's hurts in my past that are holding me back. Maybe it's just I've been focusing on all the wrong things, and maybe even I've accomplished some of those things and found out that they, they don't really satisfy And the only way you're going to be ever fully satisfied and fulfilled 
is as a part, not as an individual, but as a part of the family of God. And here's how you join the family of God. You just receive what Christ has done for you. God's your father. He loves you so much that he wants you to be part of his family. But here's how you become part of his family. You just accept. You just realize I'm a sinner. I've fallen short. Jesus died for me. And I'm going to accept what he did. And I'm going to join his family. 